This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. There's tons of clinical research on how thinking about mortality actually improves our life. In fact, there's a direct correlation between the fear of death and feeling like you're not living fully. People are much more afraid of dying if they feel like they're not living fully. If you feel like you're living fully, you're much less afraid of dying. The past couple of years has impacted each of us in different ways, as evidenced by the waitlist in psychiatrists and psychologists' offices, whether you are a child or an adult. And sadly, many of the things that have impacted us have to do with loss. So today I bring to you Dr. Jordana Jacobs, who talks to us about the relationship between love and death. And my takeaway is this is a different take on vulnerability. So take a listen to why I brought her on and more about this relationship between love and death. So I'm really excited to connect today about relationships because you have such a unique way to to look at it. And I first have to start out by discussing how I learned about you. So one of my very dear friends had attended breakup boot camp. And in my show notes, I'll reference um, the book if people wanted to to learn more about breakup boot camp, but you were one of the speakers and it really transformed her life. I mean, her marriage um, had broken up and, you know, it was her second marriage and she was really trying to sort through her life. And, you know, many of us face many losses and whether it's a spouse or other relationships. And um, it was so inspiring. And she specifically called you out as someone that I had to connect with on the podcast. And so I really appreciate you being open to sharing your wisdom because we definitely want to make sure people heal from their relationships. So maybe you can start by giving your background. Sure, sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm Really grateful to be here. My background, I'm a clinical psychologist. Um, I'm in private practice in New York City. I specialize in studying the relationship between love and death. Primarily why I was asked to speak at Breakup Bootcamp is because even though a breakup isn't a physical death, it really is an emotional death in many ways. It's the death of your relationship with a person. It's the death often of a future you dreamed of. It's the death of uh, a version of who you were as you leave that person behind and grow into somebody else. It's an emotional death in a certain way. And the grief is, is very real from that. So I, I was able to use a lot of my work and research on love and physical death, the inevitability of mortality, sort of translate that to to help people come to terms with the pain and grief of loss during a breakup and then ultimately grow 
I love the quote in your article on Medium, which I can put links in the show notes um, to that specific article. Um, it was it was nice and brief, um, and I'm sure you'll touch on it today as well. But I love this quote at the end of it. I argue that although we say it is better to have loved and lost, perhaps more importantly, we need to accept loss to have better love. So tell us about that. Because I agree with you, like, you know, a loss, whether, I mean, honestly, whether any kind of relationship, whether it's a spouse, you know, I recently lost my father and years ago I lost my mother. I mean, all of those change us. Um, so, So tell us what you mean by that statement. I think the best way to sum it up is to say that we can become quite complacent uh, in our deep and meaningful connections. And not for, not for bad reason. Uh, we want to believe that the people that are most important to us are going to be here forever because we are terrified of losing them. But in saying to ourselves on some level, we'll always have this person. I'll always have my mother. I'll always have my father. I'll always have my partner. I'll always have these friends. Um, we can develop a certain kind of complacency and lack of gratitude uh, if we think we have them, right? And there's something about the recognition that we don't actually have anyone and that we don't know when we will lose them, but we most certainly will, if not through our own death or another's death. That wakes us up to the preciousness of these deep relationships. What I try to help people do is work through some of the fear they have around those inevitable losses so that they can get in touch with the inevitability and thus love more fully and feel that preciousness. And, you know, part of as I was reading your paper and and listening to you, um, I was also thinking a lot about Brene Brown, because she's been talking a lot about vulnerability and a lot of what you're even talking about now, it it does feel like it's about helping people understand vulnerability. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Acknowledging inevitable mortality is our ultimate vulnerability. It's our very basic human vulnerability. And when we hide from that or defend against it, we cut ourselves off from sort of our our humanity, right? The fact that we are going to die is what makes us human. It makes us a human being uh, and not a robot or not tech, right? Um, We're human beings that feel and can love and are, you know, by human beings, I mean, we're also animals. Animals live and die, uh, but there's there's something about connecting to that vulnerability and connecting to that humanness, that thing that is so terrifying, but also makes us real, that I think allows us to deeply, deeply connect, right? So Brene Brown, she talks about vulnerability, she talks about shame, um, and these are all things that sort of unite us, bring us all together rather than separate us. So I think a lot of the times Brene Brown is talking about human connection and that when we cut off these parts of vulner- that are vulnerable, 
um, we're cutting off these deep routes of, of connection. How do we look? I don't, I don't think any of us wake up saying, I want to be closed off. You know, I even thought with COVID, there would be even more changes in people, you know, seeing themselves and others in a different way. And, you know, from what I've seen, it hasn't happened as much as I had hoped. But again, I don't think any of us walk around purposely trying to not live this life where we appreciate every moment because it's certain that we're all going to die and we do want to live our lives to our fullest. So, you know, given you focus in this area and see so many people um, in this, like, what are the themes and how do we even know that we're blocked? So you need first and foremost to be willing to be really interested in lifting the veil and to say, you know, I, I believe actually that in exploring and accepting this inevitability and, and really going into these existential concepts um, intellectually and experientially, I believe that it will help me live more meaningfully and more richly. And I want to do it. A situation often forces people to do it, like an illness or the loss of someone they love, you know, and perhaps because you lost both of your parents, the veil was lifted for you, right? You've seen very clearly that um, you can lose the people you love the most. And some people have that experience that existential psychologists call a boundary situation that brings them into contact with inevitable mortality. And some people really say, you know what, I know this is coming. Let me start doing the work now so I'm not completely shocked when I encounter a situation like that. So I think willingness is key. And then it takes tremendous conscious, often daily effort to bring mortality to mind because we are unconsciously repressing thoughts of mortality all the time. To acknowledge that we are going to die creates an irresolvable existential paradox for us. We have this desire to survive and a, a knowing that we're going to die. What the hell are we supposed to do with that, right? What are we supposed to do with that? This is something that Esther Perel says, um, not about this paradox, but she talks about loving in long-term relationships. She says, desire is to want and to love is to have. So how do you want what you already have? Uh, and she says, it's a paradox we manage, not a problem we solve. And I always love that. This is a paradox we manage, not a problem we solve. And I feel the same way about this existential paradox. We can't solve it, but this is a paradox that we manage. Our awareness that we have this evolutionary desire to survive, but we also know uh, that we will not. And I think the way to manage that paradox is to work towards a place of acceptance. Some might even ask, so am I supposed to be thinking about death all the time, because then that's going to make me sad. Like I could see lots of different reactions and I'm, I'm sure you've heard them as, as well. So talk to us about how you might address those. Bringing up thoughts of mortality has a tremendous effect on the way that we live. 
And my research, my dissertation research, actually showed that if you bring up thoughts of mortality, bring mortality science into conscious awareness in long-term partnerships, that people actually rate their level of intimacy with their partner as much higher. So being aware of mortality increases intimacy in long-term relationships. And I think it's for that reason that we were talking about in the beginning, that when you recognize that this person that you've been with for a long time, you recognize that you one day will lose them, you say, oh my gosh, you know, I am, even if you're struggling in certain ways, even if uh, somebody didn't do the dishes or take out the trash or, or you're going through something difficult, I think a lot of lot of the stuff of everyday sort of melts away and you connect from this very different heart-centered place of acknowledging that this is a person, this is a human being. And I, the lessons that they've taught me in life and the lessons I've taught them in life, we're lucky to be here together, right? I think that that, it brings people to that place. But there's, you know, tons of clinical research on how thinking about mortality actually improves our life. In fact, there's a direct correlation between the fear of death and feeling like you're not living fully. So that's one of my favorite stats. So that you people are much more afraid of dying if they feel like they're not living fully. If you feel like you're living fully, you're must le- much less afraid of dying. Ooh, I like that. That's really cool. One of my favorite things is that concept, you know, people say, like, I'm so happy I could die. Like, I'm just at this peak bliss moment. Um, If you are living fully, the idea of death is much less. Interesting. So, you know, as you were describing this, I think about attachment and lack of boundaries. So, like, I ran into a, a friend of mine and we're both dating. And I think back to before I was married and dating and how many of my friends and I would talk about, it it just seemed like there was this destructive behavior, right? Of the population of, of men to, if it's men that you want to be with, to find is, is limited. And I think sometimes we unconsciously hung on to bad relationships for fear of, I guess, being alone. And here we're talking about knowing the loss is inevitable and loving fully. And in that case, it's fear of loss, but hanging on when you shouldn't. So I would love for you to talk about that. The first thing that comes to mind is there's a fantastic book called, it has sort of a a kitschy title, but it's actually great. It's called If the Buddha Dated. Um, and it really talks about how to date in this way where you're aware of transience and impermanence um, and helps you in that process open your heart and fully connect without necessarily clinging, without it being attachment. Um, and I think we unfortunately often equate love with attachment. And I think there are ways in which we can love deeply, 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 and work on um, not clinging to a person in that specific form, in that specific way. The the, uh, spiritual teacher Ram Das talks about preference versus attachment. Uh, He says, 
the difference is like if you go to an ice cream shop and they have chocolate and vanilla ice cream and they say, what would you like? And you say, I'd like vanilla, you know, and they say, we're sorry, we only have chocolate. And he says, okay, I'll take chocolate then. (laughs) The idea being like you can have a preference, you can want something to happen, you can want somebody But can you be unattached to outcome if it doesn't work in your favor and be willing and open to to other options? Can you throw yourself in without the expectation, without future tripping, uh, but really staying present where you are? I think even as I'm saying it, part of the difference with attachment and love is love I think is really about deep, deep presence where you are. And attachment uh, is so often about the fear of loss in the future. How does one live this in the real world? And, And here's what I'm thinking about. You know, my friend went to this breakup boot camp. You know, I have done many seminars as well. I even think about simple things like, I had lived in California for three months and I was working with a client there. And then on the weekends, I would go camping. And then there was a time where we took all of Thanksgiving week off and went camping and spent time in the outdoors. And I noticed by doing that, my need for, and this is not, you know, people, but I'm just trying to give a concept here, but my need for like seeing the latest makeup trend or the latest clothes trend. I didn't care. All I wanted was like camping gear. Like that was all I needed. And so I just think then when you leave like this very ideal state, like there it was being in nature um, or in these seminars where everyone is aligned to the same goal and you have that high and I can do spirit, then you go into the real world. And in the real world, daily living, not everyone is in that space. And it could be that most of us aren't. So how does one keep up these learnings? Our lives are punctuated, if we're lucky, by experiences like what you're talking about, like a retreat or being in nature and feeling deeply, deeply connected to people around us or to nature And getting in touch with that presence and love, which I think makes us feel incredibly grounded and safe. And like we don't need to cling to um, anyone or anything to, to access that presence and love. We're just there. We can't really live in that state unless we're monks, you know, unless that is our entire life. So the question really is, how do you take some of that with you and continue to integrate that um, and practice that experience on a daily basis until you can get back to a place like that and get almost like another dose? It, it, it ranges from the very practical to the abstract, right? I, I think that morning rituals are incredibly important. Morning and bedtime rituals where you tap into that space and you, you create time for your, yourself to tap into that loving presence uh, and to feel sort of held in that space. If I'm 
feeling up for it, I stretch. Um, I sometimes write and I swim, you know, creating that space for yourself. I do gratitude, sometimes manifestations, you know, the whole, all, all of that. It, when you're in the real world, giving yourself an opportunity to connect to that loving presence within so that when you are around other people uh, who maybe aren't doing that kind of work as actively, you still have access to it within yourself. And then if somebody else is, is really not there or triggering you or saying, you know, that vulnerability thing, that's really not for me, to really maybe use it as an opportunity to practice your own ability to get in touch with that, that loving presence and awareness. Be mindful of what's coming up for you in that person saying that. Really examine it. Let it in. Let it be held by that, that loving awareness space. You know, you're right about the tools. Like I think I guess you never really know until you get to a different point in life on the fortunes that you do have. I mean, I had a life where I would wake up, go to the gym, have my coffee, write in my journal, and then start my work day. And now, you know, I'm a mom of a six-year-old, a single mom. I have a full-time job. I do this podcast. And I feel like each day I have to choose, you know, is it a workout? Is it a walk? Or is it my journal? Or is it meditation? Or do I just need to make sure I eat today? I used to question all the things I did and did they really help? And now that it's gotten to this extreme of so much on my plate and not having the rituals to the extreme, I used to have them. I do see the impact. But one thing I will say is because it did get crazy. And I I hate to say this, I think some of us get to this breaking point, right? But like one of my big changes was leaving the city. And it was hard. I panicked. I cried. I called so many people um, because I thought it was the right move. And then when I had to sign the paper to like actually leave, I had no more apartment to go back to. It was the apartment was sold. I was starting all over in a new community. And then I did it. And I don't look back. I mean, the kindness of the people here has been so wonderful. I mean, I was following the moving truck and I called the first grade mom and um, I was like, wait, they call us? And they're like, you're a new parent to the community. Call us and we'll help you get to know the community. I'm like, wait, what? Like, they don't do that in New York City. And on this drive, she invites me to her daughter's birthday party so that I could meet the community. And I was like, okay, I, I made the right move. But it took a breakdown to say enough is enough. And I am noticing by surrounding myself with as much of the goodness and being close to nature is really helping be more in touch. So I think in, in, in you know, I guess I'm just reiterating like the different possibilities of, of feeling like um, we are in touch with ourselves and, and creating that community to, to keep us in check in that way. I'm just thinking, you know, when we're in community and we feel that sense of belonging and we feel safe um, and we feel love, you know, maybe not romantic love in this sense, but love surrounded 
and held in love, that's when we feel safe enough typically to let ourselves be vulnerable and let ourselves explore our vulnerability. So creating, I think we all have different ways of creating safety for ourselves. I, I'm somebody who gets overstimulated, overwhelmed, too many plans. I mean, this is a New York City problem. My morning rituals and my evening rituals create the space for me to feel safe enough to be my, my whole self, right? And maybe for you right now, community, nature, having a place where you feel you and your child feel sort of accepted, um, maybe that's the environment in which you can sort of let your guard down and really drop into that place of presence. What does this, because I know we've really spoken a lot about vulnerability, but I guess just thinking of, you know, this concept of knowing that death is inevitable, like, you know, outside of the, the deep discussion we've had about vulnerability, what else might one need to understand? Because I could see someone saying, so what am I supposed to do? Like, know that I'm going to die and think about it all day long, um, have all these reminders around my house, like that's not going to make me happy. Um, so for someone who might just have that visceral reaction of like, hold on a minute, um, I could see the uh, I'm definitely not vulnerable to this hand coming up, right? So talk to us a little bit about the lightness that it can create that doesn't come through with the calming way you speak about this topic, which is already just like your voice. I feel like this is a therapy session, just like hearing your calmness. Um, so outside of that, alluding to what this might feel like, maybe you can just describe it a little bit more. You know, I work with a lot of people who have fear of death, chronic fear of death, you know, not just sadness, but real panic around it. And what I try to help them see is that they're getting in touch with a, a core truth. And truth can be really scary and it can make us really sad, but truth is always better than fiction, than lying to ourselves. And can we learn to approach that truth and sit with it and then turn it into gold, right? Can we acknowledge, accept, you know, and allow this inevitability? And once we do, right, once we really do, it is the, as Rilke says, is one of the greatest gifts given to us. Rilke says love and death are the greatest gifts given to us, and mostly they are passed on unopened, right? Death is, is, I mean, it's so hard to say, and I, I know you're saying I have a calm voice about it, but in reality, I, I do this work because it's terrifying to me. And I also know it's inevitable. It's terrifying and it's inevitable. So I'm like, I have to do this work right now. I have to do this work to approach this um, and open this this gift of awareness of inevitable mortality so that I can live as fully as possible while I'm here. I love that. And thank you for sharing your own fears about it. I mean, I'll admit there are moments, I feel like it's happening more frequently now, not like it's every day, but instead of it being like once every five years, I'm thinking like once a year. And it could be again, because both my parents have passed. But uh, there are moments where I, I truly get in touch with that oh my gosh, 
I'm going to die one day. Like, how is that possible? Like, how are you just not here? Like, what happens next? And I, I feel a little bit of a panic and I just kind of, I'm like, I can't think about this anymore because it's just going to happen. And I hope it happens in my sleep. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, even as you say it, I, I still feel, I talk about this all the time and I still feel my stomach drop, right? It's, it's unfathomable, totally unfathomable. Um, and yet it will happen, right? And I don't think it behooves us to ignore that or avoid it. There's a book that came out, I think in the last six months is fantastic. It's called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. And the concept is that we, on average, have 4,000 weeks to live. And when you think about it like that, it's pretty wild, right? We just have 4,000 of these weeks. And the way we prioritize our lives, what ends up being most important to us, and living from that space changes dramatically when we know how much time we have left, or on average, how much time we have left. Because in reality, I could die tomorrow. There's a, sorry, I'm just referencing a lot of books, but these books have changed my life. But there's a book uh, called The Five Invitations by Frank Ostaseski, who's the founder of the Zen Hospice Project in California. And he has watched thousands of people die, held their hands at bedside. And he said, there are only two questions at the end of life that really matter. And they are, am I loved and did I love? Yeah, that's all that matters. <laughs> and we do so much stuff in our lives. And we have to do a lot of that stuff. But my, my goal for myself, for my patients, when I do give talks is to really say, okay, if that's all that matters, if love is all that matters, if, if loving fully other people um, and being loved in return at the end of the day is the most important why are we waiting until we really realize that life is almost over to live with, with love like that on the forefront of our minds? Can we start living like that today? So, you know, if we get to this place, you know, are, are, you, are we thinking this is an everyday, all day thing where every day we're so present, so vulnerable? And I, and I ask this because I think back to, remember Eat, Pray, Love. I remember hearing her talk a, a few times live, and I was very lucky to be able to find the events and get tickets. And, you know, she even acknowledged, she's like, everyone thinks like, I, I did this work. And now I like live this perfect, happy life every single day. And she's like, there's still life. So is that, you know, a part of this as well Is there's still life. It's not every day, all day, we live this fullest self. It's the most of the time concept. Mm -hmm. Like maybe you can address that. It reminds me of this Jack Cornfield quote. You've probably heard it, but it's something like, after the ecstasy, the laundry. <laughs> I haven't. I love that. <laughs> so good. It's, it's like, yeah, we can do these works, work and go on these retreats, like you said. Um, and then we are doing laundry or we're making dinner or changing diapers, right? All, all of that is true and real. And, and like I said, you know, unless we dedicate our entire being to that process, like a monk, let's say, um, you know, we can't live in that state all the time. 
but we can design our lives so that we remind ourselves that we bring ourselves back. Um, I mean, Michael Pollan's book, how to, I just, yeah, read a lot of books, but like Michael Pollan's book, how to change your mind about psychedelics. Um, at the end, he says, look, we can't live our lives in that state and that psychedelic state. Uh, so did it really change our minds? You know, doing these substances, does it really change our minds? So it's just knowing you can access that state, even when you're in your day to day, just knowing that that has happened to you, that you've experienced that changes everything. You can draw upon that whenever you need to. So I, I feel the same way around I don't live my life unafraid of death at all, but I have had peak experiences and moments where I've come into contact through meditation um, or through plant medicine work with experiences of really acknowledging and accepting and surrendering to that inevitability. And when I design my day-to-day, I, I work hard to create moments where I can tap back into that space. I love that. And it feels very inspirational. And, you know, I will say I, I, I do feel like life is made up of those moments. And the more of those we can create and the more that we can surround ourselves with the good things, I feel like it just makes it so much easier. Like I used to think life was just hard and I think I made it hard and I got into the hard. I mean, four years of fertility treatments and injections, parents dying, divorce, like you name it. Um, you know, family with addiction. It was just like a nonstop thing. And I just kind of, I think I got addicted to, it's just hard. Um, and boy, to get away from that, um, I mean, it's not perfect, but uh, it's it's really nice to know that it is possible to surround ourselves with positivity in, in these relationships. And, you know, I know you did relationship boot camp and it was specifically geared towards like spouses, but, you know, it, this really applies to, to all relationships, right? Absolutely. What would be like a, an important takeaway that you hope people understand from the importance of looking at life this way? The first thing that comes to mind is just, you know, the awareness on my end of how much courage I think it takes to really look at the, at our limitations, at life's limitations. And I, I don't mean to talk about it lightly in any sense or to make it seem like I think it's easy. I think this is the hardest work we have to do. Um, and I think it's particularly hard when we've experienced, uh, acute and painful losses, uh, and we're just trying to survive, uh, trying to survive our grief. So to anyone listening that might be saying, you know, like, this is, I can't even with this, you know, um, I just want to acknowledge you out there for really being brave enough to even listen to this conversation because it brings up so much for people. Again, I think it's it's the hardest work that we, we have to do, but that if you're willing to do it, the rewards are equal to how hard it is, equal and maybe even more. 
thank you for sharing that. And, and thank you for acknowledging how difficult it is. And I do hope many listen to this episode and, and take this under consideration because we all want the same thing at the end of the day. And, and somehow we have to release all these things that are not helping any of us. So thank you so much for the work that you do and powering through it, even with your own fears. I'm sure it helps you heal as well. And so thank you so much for your time and, and for this discussion. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure.